As we begin the message today, I'm going to put you to work. I'd like you to get out your news and notes, and in it you will find a green folder like this, uh, the prayer page. On the back are some sermon notes. Now, there's one bulletin that doesn't have a prayer page because I have it. But if you don't have a prayer page, I'd, I'd like you to either find uh, uh, something to write on, uh, maybe another part of the bulletin, or um, maybe take out your cell phone. Can you believe I'm going to actually say that? Take out your cell phone and uh, maybe text yourself or write it on your ink pad or something, another app. Because I want you to write down a couple of things. The first thing I want you to write down, what is your number one prayer request these days? What is something that is on the top of your prayer list? Think about that for a moment. The second thing I'd like to have you write down is what is it that interferes with your prayer life? What is it that keeps you from praying as regularly as you should? Now set those aside for a little bit once you're finished, and I'd like to invite you to take out your pew Bible and turn to page 1256. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, page 1256. Now as we begin, as you're turning to that, that page, what I'd like to do is give you a little bit of a background about what we're going to be reading. Paul is on his second missionary journey. He starts in a place called Caesarea, Caesarea Maritime. It's along the Mediterranean Sea. And he heads north from there and goes around the, the corner and goes into Asia Minor, a country that we now call Turkey. As he's going across Asia Minor, he stops at a number of the cities that he had stopped at earlier as he established a church, uh, churches there at those various cities on his first missionary journey. He gets to the western seacoast of Asia Minor, and he gets on a boat, and he travels across the Aegean Sea, Aegean sea and gets to a place called, and a region called Macedonia, just north of Greece. He stops at a, a number of cities along the way, and he finally comes to a city by the name of Thessalonica. And Thessalonica is a, a rather large city, about 200,000 people, a major seaport. It's a, a, on the east-west thoroughfare and a north-south uh, thoroughfare where a lot of, of trade routes were uh, taking place, where people traveled back and forth carrying goods for trade. He stops in Thessalonica, and he does what he normally did when he would go into a new city. He went to the Jewish synagogue. He went to the Jewish place of worship, and there he would open up the Old Testament, and he would tell of the various prophecies that foretold what the Messiah was going to do, what he was going to be like, all the prophecies that, that pertain to the coming Messiah. And as he did this, he was telling the people that Jesus fulfilled those various prophecies. In fact, he fulfilled them all. 
We're told that over the course of the three weeks that he was there, that a number of Jews, a few of the Jews, came to believe. But many Greeks came to believe, and not a few leading women became believers. But the Jews that didn't believe became jealous. We're told that many Jews were jealous, and so they gathered some of the riffraff, uh, the rougher element of Thessalonica together, and they started a riot. And we're told that the city was in an uproar, so much so that the believers spirited Silas and Paul out of the city and bid them to leave safely. They traveled south and continued their missionary journey. They went to Berea. They got on a boat, went down to Athens. They went from Athens to Corinth. And every place that they went, they stopped. And they would preach and they would teach and they would tell people about Jesus. But Paul could not get Thessalonica out of his mind. He couldn't get them out of his mind, so much so that when he got to Corinth, he decided that he would write them a letter. And our text for today, that Pastor Dave read a little bit earlier, is part of that letter. And in chapter 3, verse 9, he begins, he tells them this. He says, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for you, for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. First of all, Paul was so excited because in three short weeks, God had started this little church there filled with believers. And Paul was so excited, so excited that these people had received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that they knew him as the Messiah and that they had salvation. And he was so thankful to God for that gift. He had to tell them how thankful he was for them. And he also wanted them to know that he longed to see them face to face, that he wanted to be able to get back to Thessalonica and to preach to them more, to teach them more. He didn't believe that they had everything that they needed. And so, as he says up there, he wanted to see them face to face to supply what was lacking in their faith, to understand more about this Jesus and what it means to live as a child of God. Now, what follows after these two verses looks a lot like a a prayer list that Paul had And this was his prayer list. It starts with verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Now Paul wasn't asking for something deeply spiritual here. He was asking for some rather ordinary kind of stuff. I'd like to invite you to get out your prayer list again. That that item that you wrote down. No show of hands, but... I wonder how many of us wrote down something that pertained to everyday life. You know, like like good health, or a broken relationship, or a financial um, help, or maybe help in school, or help with getting along with those coworkers or that boss, or something very earthly. And if you did, that's okay. There's no reason to feel bad about that, because here we see. Paul praying to God for something very ordinary. I can imagine him thinking of things like, you know, Lord, 
provide the resources or the money that's necessary for me to travel back up to Thessalonica to backtrack. Clear up some space in my calendar so that I can go back. Smooth the waters in Thessalonica so that I don't meet opposition when I get there. Very earthly kind of prayers. Normal, everyday stuff. A pastor was talking to a gentleman who had gone on an extended sailing trip. He and his uh, friends had gone on a rather small craft out onto the ocean for a number of weeks. And his friend was telling this pastor about this experience that he had there. And he said, you know, one of the things that I noticed, that when I'm on dry ground and I'm comfortable in my environment, I don't much listen to the weather forecast. But when I'm out there on that sea, we listen to it every day. Why? Because his life depended upon it. Isn't that a lot how we approach prayer? That we go to God when things are really bad. When our world, our life is being rocked by the problems that, that we are encountering. But we don't want to talk to God all the time. Sometimes we forget when things are going well. And we don't think about God so much because we're comfortable, right? Or maybe we have that attitude of, well, you know, God, He's got enough problems. My problems are small. He's got all those people out there that have big problems. I don't want to bother Him with my little, my little problems. Or maybe we're thinking, you know, I can handle this. I can handle this. I'll go to God when the things are big, but I'm not going to worry about the small things. I can handle it myself. But that's not what God desires. In the Garden of Eden, we see that God walked in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve, that His desire is to have a stroll with us every day, to walk with us, that we can share our day, our, our joys and our sorrows God enjoys having that relationship with us, and He wants to walk with us. Paul's teaching us here not to have a God-rescued life, but to have a God-directed life, that we ask God to guide and direct us even in the little things. Well, Paul's prayer list goes on. And in verse 12, he says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. It's not always easy being a Christian, is it? But we try. We really, really try. But we wake up in the morning and we take a good look at our Google Calendar and it's filled with stuff. We've got a to-do list a mile long. We're walking through life and we've got so much to do. It's kind of like the, the rabbit in Alice in Wonderland. He says, I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. And then he goes on and, and he says, no time to say hello, goodbye, I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. And then the next line I've really found enlightening. No time to stop and wave. I'll lose the time I save. God, I, I don't have time. I, I don't have time to stop and pray. I'll lose the time I needed. 
I don't have the time to stop and listen to your word. I don't have time to spend at church and Bible study. I don't have time to love my neighbor, to love the one that I want to bring to Christ with the help of God. I don't have time. You know, face it, in our world, we've got all kinds of people that put demands on our lives, don't we? We've got those people that are health advocates saying, you need eight hours of sleep. You need to eat three squares a day, and you know what? Eating out doesn't count because that's not healthy, so prepare your own meals. Exercise. Get your heart rate up. A half hour, five times a day. No, five times a week. Feels like five times a day, doesn't it? And that doesn't count the fact that we got to put food on the table and get to work. Or we need a good education in order to function in this world. We've got people that are always putting time and pressure on us. And then you come to church and you hear Pastor Dave and me saying, okay, you need to worship, connect, and serve. Like I've got time for that, right? But let me tell you, this isn't a command. It's an invitation. Because Paul says in the book of Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Take that time to spend with God. Take that time to pray and to receive his word. Why? Because there's a promise attached. And then the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We invite you to be here, to worship on a regular basis, basis, to spend time in God's word with one another, to be able to serve and to share the love of Christ with others, and to receive the love of Christ here in this community. Why do we do that? Because it's here in this community where we share the love with one another. That God's greatest gifts come to us in the most special way. Because as we spend time together learning, we learn from one another, don't we? As we discuss the Word of God, we look at it from a different perspective, a perspective that somebody else may have that we don't have. When we come into this place, this is where we are made one with one another as we come to the Lord's Supper and receive the body and blood of Jesus. As He becomes one with us, we become one with one another. It's here that we're reminded every Sunday that we are baptized children of God, and the moment we were baptized, the Holy Spirit took up residence in us. We need those reminders. We need one another. Folks, you need me. But more importantly, I need you. I need you to give me strength and to share the love of Christ with me. And you need one another. We all need each other to hold one another up and to encourage because it's here that the love of God becomes evident with people with skin on, little Christ for one another. And the third item in Paul's prayer list 
that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. If you would indulge me, I'd like to illustrate this by sharing with you a personal story from my family. I was blessed to know all four of my grandparents, wonderful Christian models for me. I had two grandfathers that I adored, and I enjoyed spending time with both of them. I learned so much from them. I enjoyed spending time with them. I learned a great deal as I just lived life with them. And I can tell you stories, but I'd like to tell you about my Grandpa Lindemann. My Grandpa Lindemann was uh, a wonderful Christian Lutheran theologian. I found out quite by accident that when he was teaching school at um, Perry County, Missouri, that in the summer when he was off, he was invited by the seminary in St. Louis to teach classes there on how to teach the faith, how to teach confirmation. When my grandpa retired, they moved to Deschler, Nebraska, and there they asked him to lead a Bible study on the book of Revelation. My grandpa looked high and low for a book that he thought really conveyed the message of the book of Revelation in a very adequate manner, in, especially in the Lutheran perspective, and he couldn't find one. So my grandpa took it upon himself to write his own book. Now that was phenomenal enough in my book, but what ended up happening is, is that my grandfather got older He couldn't stop talking about Revelation. It didn't matter if it was a pastor visiting or one of the other residents of Colorado Lutheran Home or a family member. It didn't matter what, was, what it was like that day with the weather and people were talking about the weather. It didn't matter to him. It didn't matter if the Broncos won or lost. My grandpa would always turn the conversation to the book of Revelation. And quite honestly, it got a little obnoxious. It got to the point where some of the people at the uh, Colorado Lutheran home were, would see him coming and turn and walk the other way. And I had this opportunity to sit down with my grandpa one time and say, Grandpa, you know, when we go to family reunions, when, when, when we're at Colorado Lutheran home, when, when the pastors come to visit you, you're always talking about revelation and they get it. And he said, Tim, I'm sorry. I can't help it. Because you see, Tim, I'm in my late 80s, my early 90s. I don't know how much time that I have left on this earth. But when I think about my family, when I think about those people that I know and call my friends, it breaks my heart to think that they might not be in heaven with me. I have to tell them. There's a sense of urgency here. Paul only had three weeks with the people in Thessalonica, and he had that very same sense of urgency. He wanted to make sure that when Jesus returned, that they would be established, their hearts would be blameless in the holiness before their, our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ returned. Unlike Paul, I have had 29 years working with you here at Peace. That's my prayer for you. That's Pastor Dave's prayer for you. That's Lisa's prayer for our children. That's Ruth's prayer for our youth. 
everyone on our staff, our desire is to be in heaven with you. We want your hearts to be established, blameless and holy in the presence of our God when Jesus returns. We want to spend time in heaven with you, and it breaks our heart to think that there might be some of you that we don't see there. And so we have to share the Word of God. We want you to worship and to connect and serve. There's a sense of urgency because we don't know when Christ is returning. This is a season of Advent, a time when we anticipate and celebrate the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The children are preparing for the children's Christmas worship. Pastors are preparing for the Advent services on Wednesdays and Sundays. Christmas is just around the corner, and we celebrate the coming of our Lord Jesus as that little baby in a manger. But we're also anticipating his second coming, when he comes to complete his plan of salvation and take us to be with him in heaven. And I want you there with me. And I wonder if there are some people in your life that you want with you that don't yet know our Lord Jesus. We need to be here to worship our Lord God, to connect with one another in Bible study and small groups, to serve one another, to love each other and to love others so that they too may know this Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We can't be quiet. We need to be awake and we need to pray. So I hope that you'll add that prayer request to your prayer list as well. Why don't we pray now? Dear Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your deep love that you sent your son Jesus to be born in a manger on that silent night to bring peace to all men on whom your favor rests. To give us that inner peace knowing that we belong to you and Lord we pray that you would always help us to remain alert and awake with a sense of urgency in our lives knowing that your time is coming when you're going to return and bring us back to be with you in heaven. We ask you, Lord, that you would help us to have a sense of urgency, that we wouldn't wait until tomorrow, but that we would pray today and that we would reach out to others face to face, that they might know you as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, please help us to avail ourselves of your gifts as we worship, connect, and serve one another in this place so that we're equipped to go out and to share your love with others. Thank you, Lord, for being our God who loves us so much that you came to be our Savior. Help us to share that message with others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.